as I was listening to your prayers today, one of the things that has become obvious to all of us is that the church has become totally ineffective in influencing policy in the United States and in Europe. Christians don't matter. And there are reasons for that. And what I want to do is talk to you about the reasons for it, talk to you perhaps about a cure, and relate it to today's Torah portion, because today's Torah portion actually talks about the same thing. The first article I read is a blog by a guy named Rod Dreyer, and he then pointed me to a Catholic priest. This Catholic priest is kind of an interesting guy. He started off life as an evangelical. He went over into England, studied, and became an Episcopal priest. And from there, he became a Catholic priest and is now serving in a parish somewhere in the East Coast. His name is Dwight Longnecker, and his article was 12 Reasons Why Progressive Christianity Will Die Out. And I want to read his introduction because that will sort of set things up. He divides Christianity into two groups, historic Christianity and then progressive Christianity. So historic Christians believe their religion is revealed by God in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and that the scriptures are the primary witness of that revelation. They believe the church is the embodiment of the risen Lord Jesus in the world and that his mission to seek and save that which is lost is still valid and vital. Historic Christians believe in the supernatural life of the church and expect God to be at work in the world and in their lives. And as I was listening to your prayers, I would suggest you guys probably fall into that category. Progressive Christians believe that their religion is a historical accident of circumstances and people, that Jesus Christ is at best a divinely inspired teacher, that the scriptures are flawed human documents influenced by paganism, and that the church is a body of spiritually minded people who wish to bring peace and justice to all and make the world a better place. So that's this Catholic priest's division. And I will suggest that modern society, when Christians talk to people in power, basically repeat what Pharaoh said. Who is this Jehovah and why should I listen to him? And I will suggest that the reason that they say that is because of what I just described as progressive Christianity. The majority of Christianity believes in good works. Certainly they will tell you they believe in Jesus Christ and that he's the Son of God. I'm not suggesting that they don't. But they don't believe that God is truly active in the world and that it's the church's job to bring justice, peace, and the American way and all that kind of stuff. So the church has no power. And groups like you all that do believe this stuff have sort of been marginalized. What I want to do is talk about why and what to do about it. Now I'm going to divide the people of God into three broad categories and I'm telling you right now I'm painting with a very broad brush. So you're all going to be able to say, well, wait a minute, I can think of examples where that doesn't work. And I absolutely agree, you can. But this is kind of useful. I'm going to divide the world into Jews, Catholics, and Protestants. So start with Jews. Jews believe in the Torah, 
and they believe that they're in exile. Both of those things are true. They're also divided into progressive and traditional. You know, the traditional ones are the black gangster hats and the curly cues, and they live in their own little enclaves. And the progressive ones are out there secular Jews. Catholics and Protestants are also divided into secular and tradition. The difference between the three groups is Jews believe in the Torah. Catholics, anybody ever been into a Catholic church, perhaps someplace like New Mexico or Europe? Does it feel like idol central to you? I will suggest there's a reason for that. And we look at a Catholic church and we say, idols, paganism, right? What the Catholics are trying to do is they are trying to preserve the presence of God in their life, the miracles and presence of God. Protestants see that as idols. What Protestants are trying to do is maintain rationality. And so they see God as transcendent, up there, big, far away, majestic. Catholics want to see God as imminent, close. And so they surround themselves with all these symbols to feel the closeness of God. And their danger is they slip into idolatry from our point of view. From the Catholic's point of view, the danger in Protestantism is we slip into rationality and we lose the imminence of God. Now, lots of exceptions. I said I'm painting with a very broad brush. So Pentecostals, for example, are very much into imminence. As I said, I'm painting very, very broadly, and you can all think of exceptions, and I I will suggest that that's true. I will also suggest that all three groups are crippled. So let's start with the Jews. Jews are crippled because they can't sacrifice. They have not been able to sacrifice for 2,000 years. Sacrifice is something that is set up by God as a way to keep them connected. They can't do it. So they're unhinged, if you will, from part of their religious tradition because it is not possible. Catholics are crippled because... They're willing to drift into idolatry in order to keep God close, but in that process, they lose track of his transcendence. Protestants are crippled because they have lost the sense of the closeness of God. Go to an Episcopal church. The American Episcopal church has been censored and their vote has been taken away in the World Anglican Council because they have ordained homosexual priests and they have celebrated gay marriage. So the World Anglican Council says, you guys can come to the meeting, but you don't get to vote. And that, what I'm suggesting, is rationality run amok. Because if you lose the sense of the imminence and presence of God, you then become rational. How many of you have heard people say, in churches, don't do anything irrational? And as I've said before in the past, this is the outworking of a process that began in the Reformation. The Catholic Church was corrupt. People reacted to that corruption by throwing over the authority of the Catholic Church. And what they did is they 
enshrined human reason. You had the age of enlightenment, so forth. The idea is everybody has got his own copy of the Bible, and everybody can read his own copy of the Bible, and your interpretation of your copy of the Bible is just as good as my interpretation of my copy of the Bible. And what happened is we disconnected ourselves from community. We disconnected ourselves from a sense of authority. Everybody became his own authority. And what we then do is we atomize, which is to say, all right, you don't pronounce the name of God the way I do. You pronounce it Yahuwah, I pronounce it Yeshua, and we can't be in fellowship anymore. Anybody recognize that phenomenon? That's what's going on in Protestantism. I read this, and this is what I think it means, and you think it means that, and we can't be in fellowship. And so what happens is everybody scatters and atomizes, and you lose a sense of the presence of God and everybody retreats into personal morality. In other words, what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep my skirts clean and I am going to go ahead and read the Bible and I'm going to study it and I'm going to do what it says as best I understand it. And the rest of you, I'll watch you in hell. And I will gently suggest that as we look at our brothers in the Catholic Church and to use an example, the Episcopalian Church, since that's what I'm, we're all sort of standing up and saying, see you guys, you ain't going where I'm going. And we sort of feel good about it, actually. I mean, you know, we give lip service to, we want to save every one of them, but they're about to reap what they're sowing. Reap them, God. Baptists will look at Catholics the same way. And Catholics will look at Jehovah's Witnesses the same way. I'm not suggesting that this is unique to us. And that's a result of this atomization I'm talking about. That's a result of the disconnecting of God from his creation. Think about that a minute. What God becomes is the watchmaker. Anybody ever heard the analogy of the watchmaker? I mean, God exists, you know, we don't don't dispute that. But he's like a watchmaker. And he put together this watch and he wound it up, which is the universe, and he set it off and it's going like a little mechanical toy. And he's just sort of sitting up there watching it. And oh, by the way, that's what Catholic idolatry is designed to fight against. We see it as idolatry. What they see it as is keeping God close and not letting him become this watchmaker that has just wound everything up and set it in motion and is no longer intimately involved with us. That's why the Catholics do the stuff they do. It is not stupid. They're trying to preserve something different than what most of Protestantism is trying to preserve. And what we're trying to preserve is God's transcendence and majesty and this awesome God that set galaxies spinning into motion. But what we do is we swim in a rational sea. And so what you have is liberal Christianity or progressive Christianity has become more and more distance from the presence of God. And they have simply become social clubs with liturgy who are out there trying to do good works and trying to change things for the better and so forth. And by the way, they're more effective politically than we are because they don't 
demand anything of you. How many people, and I've talked to some of you, have family members that don't come here because we got too many rules? I don't want all those rules in my life. Anybody recognize that? If you're dedicated to doing good, and Protestant churches are dedicated to doing good, as are Catholic churches, liberal ones, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make things better. But you don't demand anything, and you're open and affirming, and pretty soon it doesn't matter what you think, you can still be a member of our club. Pretty soon the club doesn't mean anything, and it dissolves. Because why should we go and meet on Sunday with everybody else when we can just go out and do our good works by ourselves. And we can read our Bible by ourselves. I mean, we believe in the Bible. And my interpretation of the Bible is just as good as your interpretation of the Bible. And why should we bother? We can do good by ourselves. We can read the Bible by ourselves. And what I'm suggesting to you is that is why the church has become so ineffective. The part of it that is politically active doesn't demand anything. The part that does demand anything is getting smaller and smaller and becoming less and less politically powerful. Tom and Patricia, leaders in anti-abortion. Does any government agency really give a rip what you say? No, they don't. Because you're not politically powerful. Now, don't get me wrong. Dennis was talking about prayer in his prayer this morning. It's very powerful. But I'm talking about secular. I'm talking about the world now. You think perhaps that marriage should be between a man and a woman. Does any political authority really give a rip what you think? No. You think perhaps you really don't want a whole bunch of Muslims living in your town. Does any political authority give a rip what you think? Well, look at Europe. Their leaders don't really care what their church thinks. It just doesn't matter to them. And I will suggest to you that's because we all swim in this sea of rationalism. And what's happened is we have lost sense of the imminence of God. And I'm not talking about you personally. I'm talking about Christianity in general. And oh, by the way, Catholicism's trying to hold God close didn't stop them from getting run out of France and Germany. Have we seen this before? Sure. We're in Egypt. And we have a pharaoh that says, who is this God and why should I listen to him? Right? Isn't that what I just described? Who is this God and why should I listen to him? Can't think of any good reasons myself. And what God does is he intervenes in the situation. Now, there's a real difficulty for us. In the Torah portion today, various translations, some of them they went out by ranks, some of them say they went out armed. And the word is hamashim. And what hamashim means, the basis of the Hebrew root is five. And what Rashi, among others, say is what that really means is only 20% of Israel left. And I will suggest that you have right there your divide between progressive Christianity and traditional Christianity. And the 20% that left, if that's true, and for my purposes it works, so I'm going to say it's true, okay? If that 20%
had to step out with no assurances whatsoever except the word of Moses and God. They were stepping off into something that was completely unknown. They were agreeing to follow this God into the wilderness, not having any provision. Remember one of the things it says, they didn't have time to make a lunch. They just went. And they stepped off into complete uncertainty and the unknown. They did something irrational. And as they went, oh, by the way, it wasn't at all clear that this was working out really well. The first thing they do is they look up and they got all these big hairy Egyptians bearing down on them. The next thing that happens is they run out of water. The next thing that happens is they run out of food. So this irrational behavior isn't working out too well. Now, God, of course we know, catches them along the way and he's in a process of educating them. But I'll suggest that we are in exactly the same situation. And the question is, are you going to do something irrational? And I will suggest that 80% of Christianity will not. And because that 80% of Christianity won't do something irrational, Christianity in the United States and in Europe is dying out. Now, this guy, Ron Dreyer, who started me off on this path, is also an interesting guy. He, I think, started off as evangelical. And where he is wound up is in Eastern Orthodoxy. And his quest has been to discover again the imminence of God. And that's where he has gone to find it. He's got something he calls the Benedict Option. St. Benedict was alive as the Roman Empire was coming apart. Sort of where we are right now, as the American Empire is coming apart. And he came from a wealthy family, and he was sent to Rome to study. And he took one look at Rome and said, Ugh. sort of like you being sent to Washington to study. And you look at K Street, and you look at all the lobbyists and all that, and, Ugh. and so what he did is he went off into the woods, and he decided to pray and study, and he gathered people around him, and that became the Benedictine order of monks. And what they did over the next 500 years or so during what's known as the Dark Ages is they preserved secular knowledge, taught people how to farm, for example. How many people in Washington, D.C., with their $500 loafers do you think could figure out how to farm? Serious question. And so what he did is he taught people how to farm. He kept the scriptures alive. And he wasn't trying to start a movement. He didn't want to be part of Rome as it was coming apart. And that Benedictine order, by the way, still exists, and they still do the same thing. So the Benedict option is, you all know the stouts, right? They are exercising the Benedict option. And what they have done is they have pulled away, they have bought a little plot of land, and they have gathered people who think like they do, and they homeschool their kids, and they still engage in commerce, they still work, they still engage with the world, but they've pulled back and they've said, we don't want to swim in that water anymore. That's one option, and not one I'm necessarily recommending, by the way. I'm simply saying that's one idea. What I think we're doing here, by the way, is the same kind of thing. We have established a community here, and there's stuff that goes on in this community that I have no idea 
except periodically it pops up and, oh, gee, you guys are doing that? <laughs> that's cool. So you have a network of community that's engaged both with the world outside and with God in here, and you support each other. That's sort of Benedict light. We haven't gone out and bought a plot of land and, and so forth. So that's good. But I will suggest there's something else going on. Let's go back to Exodus. When things get bad enough, God directly intervenes. Those of you who have been through Revelation with me, you know that I am of the opinion that Revelation is a very simple book. It's designed to be understood. It is organized linearly into three sets of seven. Nothing particularly difficult or mysterious about it. Where I think we are right now is probably in the fifth seal. So the first four seals have been opened. Anybody remember what the fifth seal is? The martyrs who are under the altar in heaven. And what is the martyrs' problem that they're crying out about? They've been beheaded. They have specifically been beheaded for the testimony of God. And then they're under the altar crying out, How long, O Lord, before you know? But the reason that they're there is they have been beheaded. Anybody been paying attention to what's going on in the world? If you are of such a bent, and I am not, you can go to YouTube and watch videos of Christians being beheaded. And I will suggest that we are in the fifth seal. And I will suggest that the next thing we're going to see is the sixth seal, which is not going to be subtle at all. That one there's going to be no doubt about. Now, God is going to use natural means to do that so that the people who don't believe in him will be able to shake their fist at God and say, gee, this is really terrible that all this natural stuff is happening. Sort of like you have your liberal Christians today trying to explain water turned into blood. I mean, you have all sorts of, gee, it was an algae bloom. They have all sorts of rational explanations for the Nile River being turned into blood. And plagues of locusts are normal and, you know, that kind of stuff. So they're trying to rationalize all this. And the same people will look at the sixth seal and the seventh seal and the trumpets and the bowls and they will see, gee, things are really bad right now. They won't see the hand of God. And what I will suggest is your job is first off to find these people who believe in the Bible, liberal Christians, progressive Christians, tell them in a gentle way, that they're crippled. They don't have a full sense of what God is doing in this world, and they don't have a full sense of the Word of God. Tell them that the Torah is freedom. It isn't too many rules. It, in fact, is freedom. And what you want to do is you want to bring them in to the community, our community, the Stouts community. I mean, there's all sorts of places where people like us still exist. And we are not politically powerful, but we do have a sense of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we do have a sense of what he's about to do. Talk to your Christian friends. Talk to your reasonable, rational Christian friends that won't do nothing stupid and say you're doing the most stupid thing in the world. What you are doing is you are throwing away the power and the imminence of God working daily in his creation. And he wants to work with and through you. 
But if you won't do nothing stupid, he can't. Anybody ever heard that? Don't do nothing stupid? Well, I'll tell you. Picking up with nothing but your kneading bowl on your back and following God into the wilderness based on nothing but the word of a guy named Moses is insane. And if that translation is correct, only 20% of believers, Israel, were willing to do it. So that gives you a sense of your target audience. Talk to your Sunday Christian friends. Talk to these rational, reasonable people and explain to them they're missing it. They're missing the imminence of God. They're missing the power of God in their lives. They're missing the power of God in the world. They're missing what God is about to do. And lots of them will wake up and, whoops, they just moved to Hawaii. How did that happen? Well, God did it. Please consider becoming a sponsor. You can sponsor us for as little as a dollar a month. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.